Once again, uh, welcome everyone here on Trinity Sunday. Welcome again everyone watching online. Uh, I'm going to start out by looking again at this painting by Rublev, uh, Andrei Rublev, Russian monk in the 1400s. And um, I, I like this image of the Trinity. Uh, and not just because I'm kind of a fan of old things, but it's maybe, to me, one of the best representations of how to understand the Trinity. You've probably heard of uh, Saint, uh, why am I blanking on it? Irish guy, drove out the snakes. Um, Patrick, I'm looking at Tim back there. I'm like, Patrick, yes. And when, when he came to my, my Gaelic ancestors and was trying to explain the Trinity, the legend has it anyways, that he pulled out a three-leaf clover and said, just like this clover is three leaves in one, so God is three in one. And we're not sure that actually happened, and that's maybe not the best uh, way to look at it as sort of three branches, but it was successful and got my ancestors to be Christians, so I guess I can't knock it that much. Um, but I like, this, I like this icon, I like this image, because it really gets to the idea of God being three persons and not a shapeshifter. You know, I think as a kid I always understood the Trinity like a shapeshifter, you know. God was just one being, but when he wanted to take the form of the sun, he went, you know, and became the sun. And when he wanted to become the spirit, he, you know, morphed and became the spirit. And, um, but that isn't really what we believe. We don't believe that God is one person that just transforms. It's three persons in one God. And how to understand that can be kind of tricky. So you have this icon, and that's why I love it. You've got three persons, and just to sum it up again, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So the gold, the one on the left is the Father, the middle is the Son, the right is the Holy Spirit. And um, you can see that, uh, and then that cup in the middle, which represents communion, it also represents fellowship, right? Eating together, right? So it's both literally communion and it's figuratively communion. Um, because, of course, we eat together to build community, right? It's more than just caloric intake. You can get plenty of caloric intake without needing to have other people around you, right? We're all aware of the midnight run to the refrigerator that can get us plenty of caloric intake all by ourselves. But that's not what this is about. This is about being together. So I leave the image up there to kind of soak it in. Here's some of the things that it's, that it's saying. God is three persons, said that, right? Not a shapeshifter. Uh, God is diverse. So there's a diversity in God, right? Differences within God. God is creative and makes and visions. God is mutuality and togetherness, right? God is among us, because that's where the, those three angels, the three persons of God showed up to Abraham. They showed up to him. They didn't transport Abraham to heaven or something. They are at peace. You can see on their faces that they have images of that, that they're at rest. These are not angry, antagonized faces. They're in harmony. Um, and there's vulnerability and openness. You know, there's vulnerability of God within himself. And as you can see, too, the fourth spot is left open, right? And that's, not, and that's not just to draw for perspective, but that's to say, in a sense, that God is open. God is open to himself, and God is open to us. So there's vulnerability, and that's the, that's the point I want to look at today. 
vulnerability. You can see that God is three persons and they're in this mutual, harmonious relationship with each other. And to be in any relationship, you have to have a certain amount of openness and vulnerability. Uh, if you don't, it's not really a relationship. It's uh, co-workers or people you ride the bus with, right? I know when I'm riding the bus, the last thing I want to do is be open and vulnerable, right? I'm on full guard. Is he going to take my stuff? Is he going to mug me? Is he, you know, right? That's what you do. If this was New York, I would make another obligatory subway joke. But just picture you're riding a Tucson bus. You're in the same room, but you're not together. You're not in a relationship because you're not open with each other, right? And uh, we all know that if you don't open up, you can't really have a relationship. That's part of what it means. If you're not letting anyone in, then you're just together alone, or alone together. Kind of like when I go to a restaurant. That's what I always when I think when I go to a restaurant and I see a table, and everybody's sitting at the restaurant with their cell phones out. You're alone together. Imagine what this painting would be like if each person in the Trinity had a cell phone and were texting each other rather than talking to each other. Hey, son, I have a job for you. Spirit, hey, watch out. Elijah needs some food. You know what I mean? It just wouldn't work. That, that's what it's like. Imagine this painting if they were guarded. What would it look like if you were going to represent that? Instead of openness, what would you represent? Would you paint them like knights? Would you put them in armor? You know, instead of soft robes, they'd be hardened and protected. You know, maybe they wouldn't have their hands on the table. Maybe they'd have their hands on their swords just in case. You know, but that's not a relationship. And that's not really a good way to go about life to be guarded and protected all the time. Life comes from being together, from being vulnerable. It does, you don't make life with armor. And this is how God is within himself. Each person is open to the others and yet distinct. And I'll admit, you know, this is one of the harder kind of ideas. I think we really struggle with this in the West particularly in America, we struggle with this, this idea of allowing ourselves to be unguarded. Um, because first, I think we like, we like to think of ourselves as individuals who aren't dependent on others. You know, the rugged individualist myth, right? I made my own way. I got myself through my own efforts. Nobody gave me nothing. I don't ask nobody for nothing. Right? And we have to put up that strong facade of being tough and independent. And those aren't by themselves bad things. There can be great benefits to that sometimes, but those aren't the best traits for making a relationship. They can make you hardened and suspicious. And trust me, I grew up with a lot of people who lived like that. I'd go to walk to my friend's house down the road, and there were a whole bunch of houses I knew, be careful, because when you walk by their house, it was like a fortress. You had a gigantic fence. Sometimes there'd be barbed wire around the fence. You know, it was protected. The guy inside, we all knew he was very well armed. Everybody knew not to step on his property. But it was amazing how this giant fence that was so good at keeping people out could never keep the Doberman Pinchers in. I would walk by and they all, they all could jump that bugger in one leap. But everyone, of course, was afraid to say anything to this guy. And I just kept thinking, 
of there he was behind his fortress with his dogs and his guns and his fences and the neighbors didn't go near him and he didn't go near them and I'm like, wow, that sounds like a fun life. I'll bet you're just filled with joy and happiness all day long, aren't you? But hey, you know, it's free country, you do you. But I wish you do you could keep your Dobermans on your side of the thing. I also think we're kind of suspicious of vulnerability because we worry that if we open too much up to someone else, that that will affect us and change us. And, you know, if, an, if, I, if I spend too much time, if I'm too unprotected, then, then somehow I'm going to start changing. I might become dependent on someone. I might grow used to this relationship and not get used to being without it. And then what if I lose myself or my individuality, my self-expression? What will happen? Will I just become sort of some codependent blob thing? I mean, yes, I've seen it happen. That's an unhealthy dynamic, you know. If you have to lose yourself to be with someone, that's not a relationship. That's an absorption. Or if you have to lose yourself to be a part of a group, that's a cult, right? Notice how I let you wear whatever you want when you come in. We don't all have to put on white robes to look exactly the same. Our unity is not based in that way, right? And that's the beauty of it. I would even be willing to say that if you aren't willing to let someone affect you, then you're not really ready to be open. And you're not really ready to have a relationship. That you can only stay perfectly the same by being totally separate. And of course, there's the fear of getting burned, right? We all have that in the back of our mind. And if you've been burned once, you're going to always, you're going to always think twice, you know? If I, if I was with this guy and it turned out that he was a cheater and a liar and I put my, and I, you know, I fell for him hard and I trusted him and it turns out I got completely burned, what are you going to do when the next one comes along? You're going you're gonna to be, you're going to want tests, right? Prove to me you can be trusted. Prove to me you're not cheating. Prove to me you're not with other girls when you say you're with the guys. What are you going to do? You're going to be on your phone texting, texting. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? You're going to try to GPS track it. You're going to try to make him wait on everything you can make him wait on because you, you got to make sure first, right? Because I've been burned. Well, at some point, you got to open up. And you got to be in relationship. Because if you don't, you can't be suspicious. You, you can't be guaranteed that you'll never be burned, is the reality. Use your head, but you can't make that guarantee. You have to be open and vulnerable, right? So, uh, all of this, of course, can lead us to hardening ourselves, as I was talking about, like being like a knight armoring up. And, and I always wonder, what, what makes us this way? Why, why, is it so, why is it such that to be an adult, you have to sort of go through life with all this suspicion? And it isn't just that we all deal with email scammers all the time, right? And all we ever hear is, watch out for this scam, watch out for this scam, watch out for this scam, right? Don't trust, don't trust, don't trust. On the internet, I would say, don't trust anyone. Yeah, that's not maybe not a bad thing on the internet. But what, why is it that happens? So I go back earlier. Imagine, you know, when you're a kid, paint, we'll paint kind of an idyllic picture. 
You know, you're at home, you're out in the backyard, you're playing with frogs or lizards or whatever. You build your things with blocks, you color your things with crayons, you go home and you, you, you run inside and you eat macaroni and cheese with the hot dogs put in it. I don't know if you've ever had that. It's really not healthy, but boy, does it taste good. And you're hanging out, there's like nothing wrong. The world, the world, the world is just sunshine. And then you go to school, and what happens? What happens? You run into that one bully on the playground, makes fun of your artwork, throws your painting on the ground, laughs at you, gets other people to join in. And now why do you respond? The world is so nice and safe. Now, I just, want, I just want to go about my business, and they won't let me be. What do you do? How do you react to that? Do you really ignore it, like your mom says? Don't just ignore him. I've never found that works. I've never found a bully who just stopped when you ignored them. My experience is you try to ignore them, and they always escalate. Until they get your attention, they'll just, they'll just escalate. But do you really ignore them, or do you internalize it? Well, maybe, I, maybe there is something wrong with me. Maybe I am a loser. Maybe I'm not that good looking. And you start to do it, and you don't want to do it. You're not trying to consciously do it, but you're absorbing that, right? Do you withdraw? Just say, I'm not going to be around those pe people anymore. I'm just going to hide. I'm just going to go in the basement and hide, isolate. Do you lash out? Start attacking people, get back at society. We've seen that happen in America, haven't we? Or do you armor up? You armor, you armor up. You say, I'm not going to let this happen to me again. I'm going to toughen up. I'm not telling them nothing. I'm not showing my artwork. I'm not going near there. I'm going to join the Cobra Kai. I'm going to strike first. I'm going to strike hard. There's going to be no mercy. I'm going to get tough. Is that happiness? Is that, happy? is that a happy way to live? Is that a fun way to live? Is that going to make great memories? Yeah, I was tough. Do we brag about being tough because we don't want to admit how we're really hurt? Is that rugged exterior really rugged because we're really tough, or is it just a way of dealing with the hurt that we don't want to admit? We're in a world where we're in a strange situation where we've got more people on our planet than we've ever had, seven billion people. We are more together than we've ever been, and yet we are also more alone. There's a lot of being alone together, a lot of armoring up. And armoring up doesn't heal you from the hurts. It, just it doesn't prevent you from being hurt. It just keeps the hurts inside. See, that's the paradox of it. When you've been hurt and you need to heal, the only way to do that is to find a safe place to open up. It's only when you open up about the hurt that you can heal it. You can't heal it from behind your armor. The only way to cure the pain that you had from being open and vulnerable is to find another place to be open and vulnerable. The cure is not to put up more defenses. The cure is in relationship, living in relationship, to be a part of something. So, here we go back. Let's get back to the Trinity. Let's, look at, let's put Rublev up on the screen again. 
this is such a great and symbolic way of showing relationships as they should be. Together, but not mushed. Open, but still distinct. They're in union, but they're not the same. They're working together, but they're not doing the same thing. It's like they're making beautiful music, creating life, like a harmonious song. This is God, not an isolated kind of power figure who sits up high, full of wrath, waiting for a chance to punish, but a unity of three who exist together, open and vulnerable with each other. This is God who's open to himself, three persons open to each other, and God is essentially inviting you to come and be a part of that. The the, the mystics back in the Middle Ages, they loved the Trinity, and they would talk about dwelling in the Trinity, and they would write about how I was was deep in a moment of prayer late at night, and, and I was contemplating the Trinity, and I dwelled within the Trinity, almost like you were at that table and you got to get the seat number four in front there. Almost like you got to have a place at the table. Almost. And the experience, they said, was so awesome. It was not like standing before a throne, but it was really like being in the middle of something vulnerable and open and powerful and rich. God doesn't give us armor to protect us from the hurt. God invites us in to heal it. Jesus didn't fight and defend himself. He didn't lash back even when horrible things were done to him. What did he do? He loved them. He forgave them. He made himself vulnerable to them. Essentially, he invited everybody in. You're invited in this Trinity Sunday to join in, to have a seat at the table where you are safe and welcome. Amen.